Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You're all right, I'm here. <laughs> Good morning. Monday, Duff Dawn. It was to be the Monday that we were to go back indoors for dining and drinking. But as we now know, that is not going to happen today. The industry is meeting with the various ministers and advisors and the government today, looking to see if Neffet will be in the room. Neffet won't be in the room. I'll get to all that a little bit later, but the industry wanted to open today. It'll be at least two weeks before they do that big meeting this afternoon. But more importantly for you, me and the rest of us, the vaccine programme takes a huge leap forward today. And we discussed this Friday morning as it was breaking and it developed more over the weekend. So as of this morning, 700, I think it's 750 pharmacies around the country are taking part in the vaccination program for anybody over the age of 18 can of this morning book into a pharmacy for an appointment for a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. There's about, I think they said, 120,000 doses in storage that can be used. And then there's more ordered in the month of August. So that's that covered. You can also, from a few days' time, if you're over 18, uh, book in on the portal for an AstraZeneca vaccine. That's in a few days. Stephen Donnelly was saying on Friday that everybody who's not yet had a second dose who needs one will get one in the next 10 to 12 days. We're going to keep tabs on that one. That was very important on Friday. He was pushed on that, on the people that need their second dose. Let's actually listen back to what he said because they're very important people. 
they're some of the most vulnerable. Many of those people are immunocompromised, immunosuppressed, cancer patients, transplant patients, those kind of people are waiting on their second dose of AstraZeneca. And the importance of getting them fully vaccinated cannot be overstressed. I've been speaking to our good friend in the UK, health analyst John Campbell. I've been speaking to him this weekend about the importance of people being fully vaccinated. And what he's got to tell us this morning is extremely good news for those of us who are fully vaccinated, but worrying for those who are not. Let us remind ourselves, speaking on Morning Ireland and RTE, this is what Stephen Donnelly said on Friday about those people waiting on a second dose. We are accelerating the end of dose two for AstraZeneca for 60 to 69, but also for all of the other cohorts who've had their first dose of AstraZeneca. In about the next 10 or 11 days, Everyone who has had their first dose of AstraZeneca, if they haven't already have, had it, will, will have their second dose of AstraZeneca. So approximately 12th of July, you hope, them have to, hope to have them all done. The, the original target was the 19th. That's right. It? Yeah, we're, mo- we're, we're, we're moving it forward. And again, we can do this because the NIAC advice has changed. So that's what he said on Friday. And that would be the most important cohort. And to be honest, that is more important than the 18 to 35s. Those people must be taken care of and must be taken care of very, very quickly, as our latest conversation with John Campbell will indicate when you hear it. On the papers this morning, August hopes on adult vaccine revamp. This is Paul uh, Paul Reed from the HSE. I was listening to this interview yesterday and he said that he hopes with all the changes they're making in the programme, he hopes that they can have all adults in the country vaccinated by the middle of September or by the start of September, which would be great. Will it get us to the magical figure of 85%? Hardly without the children involved. But at the same time, we would be very, very well paced to deal with COVID-19 if we had all the adults in the country vaccinated by the start of September. That is where Paul Reid was coming from yesterday. And I forgot to mention on Friday, didn't we hear as well, that Michal Martin has been in touch with the Romanian president or ambassador or whoever. They've got very, very low uptake of vaccines in Romania. There's a lot of vaccine hesitancy over there. So Michal Martin has done what he should have done months ago and said, right, we'll take them. If you're not using them, we'll take them. So there's a million doses, uh, combined Pfizer and Moderna, coming from Romania. Uh, When they'll arrive, we're not sure. They also said yesterday, reading one of the newspapers, they will look at sourcing stuff elsewhere from other sources too, inside and outside the EU. Any country that doesn't want vaccines, we'll buy them. Which they could have done months ago, but they're doing it now. Look, they're doing it now. They're doing it now, and let's give them credit where it's due for for doing it now. Irish Independent says pubs demand end to social distancing for vaccinated customers. Now, that looks dementedly stupid, if you ask me. Boris Johnson is going to announce this evening in the UK that social distancing is gone and that mask wearing is uh, no longer compulsory. Uh, it's, he's taken a gamble. He's gambling the house on it at this evening when he makes that. The Echo this morning has a race against Delta. COVID, now this is the thing, you see, COVID cases highest since May the 1st. Last evening, we had 562 new cases of COVID were confirmed, but 48 were in hospital. Now, 
that's a very small number compared to the disastrous situation we were in in January with nearly 2,000 people in hospital. But it's also an uptick, slight uptick, but it's an uptick. We only have 14 in ICU, though, up and down the country. So our hospital admissions and our ICU admissions are very, very low, thankfully. But our case numbers are going up day by day, and that's those numbers are headed only one direction for the next few weeks. So we just hope that it won't lead to a surge in hospital admissions. Irish Daily Mail says freedom by September. This is uh, harking back to what Michal Martin, or for Paul Reid was saying from the HSE. The Sun says young, free and mingle. Kev- chemists to start giving jabs to the 18 to 34s today, which which they are, and, and that's great for them once we get the second dose for those who are waiting for it. Now, on Friday, we were starting to get messages from listeners who had had their text that they were being called for their second dose. We want to watch this very closely during the course of the week. Stephen Donnelly's made a promise, and you know what? I hope he can deliver on it, but he made a promise on Friday that he will try to get, he will get everybody vaccinated, second vaccine, within 10 to 12 days. We'll give him until, say what, the 14th to get it done. So I'm interested in anybody who's been waiting a long time for a dose, for a second an injection, second injection. Have you been called yet? And let us know when you are. 1850-715-996. Enough of me. I caught up the weekend with John Campbell, um, health analyst in the UK, who's been on the show now a number of times and has now got a million global subscribers on YouTube. I've described him as a man of no agenda. John Campbell has no agenda other than fact and data and research, which makes him a perfect analyst to bring on the show from time to time. And I wanted to address the effectiveness of vaccines with John. Because in the midst of all of this, people are asking a question, well, sure, I'm vaccinated. Why do we need to be worried about it? We've loads of people vaccinated. Why are we worried? And if you're vaccinated, you have very little to worry about. You'll hear my conversation with John Campbell next. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. John, I wanted to catch up with you today. It corresponds with a, a huge ramping up in our vaccination program in this country, yes. announced on Friday by our Minister for Health. Everybody over 18 can get a Johnson & Johnson in the local pharmacy. They can get an AstraZeneca in a vaccination centre from about 8 to 10 days' time. We're working down the age cohorts as well with Pfizer and Moderna. So the hope is that within, within another four to five weeks, we'll have a huge increase in the numbers of people vaccinated. What I wanted to talk to you about, John, is the effect of vaccination against Delta, because I think many of my listeners are confused and maybe a bit frightened. They think, well, I've had my two doses. Why is there so much concern? Am I safe? If Delta comes into my neighborhood, into my house, into my office, am I safe? I'm double vaccinated. What's the data telling us, John? Well, we do have data on this from the United Kingdom. Now, in the United Kingdom, of course, the, uh, the, the Delta arrived 
first after India we had a lot of it so we've actually had time to accumulate quite a lot of specific data on the Delta variant as it reacts with the two vaccines that we're using mostly here which is the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca now in terms of the Pfizer vaccine first versus the the, the Delta variant of the of the uh, coronavirus if we take the efficacy against symptomatic disease then after one dose it's only 36 percent mm. so that that is that is people getting any symptomatic diseases but after two doses that goes up to 88 percent so one of the big changes we've got with the uh with the delta variant is that one vaccine dose is not protecting as much but the two vaccine doses is protecting to a high level almost as high as it was with the previous strains of the virus mm. but when we look at protection against severe disease and hospitalization the data is actually even better so with the pfizer BioNTech versus the Delta virus one dose gives a 94 percent protection against hospitalization compared to someone who is not vaccinated so it really is significant so two to three weeks after the first dose your chances of hospitalization whap down by 94 percent and after two doses it's 96 percent protection against hospitalization so excellent protection against getting seriously mm. ill and i think that's what people are worried about pj i mean i don't really care if i get a runny nose or something that's okay what i don't want to do is get really sick mm. i don't want to endanger those around me i don't want to go to hospital and i certainly don't mm. want to die so you know if, if we're 96 percent less chance to go to hospital that that's that's pretty good I've, <laughs> i'm accepting that and john where's the data on infectiousness because that's been the big yeah. question how infectious yeah. am i if i have mild symptoms say yeah it's not absolutely clear on this. The The answer is after vaccination, if you become symptomatic, you are infectious to a degree. Now, there was good data published by the Office for National Statistics yesterday in the UK looking at someone who has had what you might call a natural infection, someone who's actually been exposed to the virus itself as opposed to the vaccine. And those people do get reinfected. Now, the number that get reinfected is small and the reinfections are less serious and they have less symptoms and the symptoms don't last for as long. And this is because we now know they have a lower viral load. So people that are reinfected have way fewer viruses as measured by the, the, the PCR test, way fewer viruses. If they've got fewer viruses, they're going to secrete less viruses. So they're less infectious and they're less likely to get sick. And it appears it's the same with the vaccines. So it's important to know that people who've had the vaccines and, and uh, pick the words carefully here are probably less infectious if they become symptomatic but must consider themselves still infectious to potentially infect unprotected people if they become symptomatic that's important so to the best know. thing to do is if you should pick up any symptoms at all just isolate yourself i think you have to assume that yeah. um and and get tested take yourself out of circulation and get tested can we, can we look at the astrazeneca figures yeah yeah, yeah the, the, the astrazeneca vaccine so efficacy against symptomatic symptoms after one dose is only 30 percent mm. and after two doses it goes up to 67 percent now that sounds a lot less than the 88 percent for the pfizer which is true but again the symptoms are milder they don't last for as long and there's fewer of them in the vast majority of people that still beget still get it but th th that does mean that people that do become symptomatic after one dose or two doses as you've just emphasized pj uh, do have some infection risk for those around about them
Now, with the effectiveness against hospitalisation with the Oxford AstraZeneca, and just to remind ourselves, it was 94 and 96 with the Pfizer. With the, with the, uh, with the AstraZeneca, it's 71% protection against hospitalisation after one dose and 92% protection after two doses. But there is a proviso here to, to bear in mind because the data is taken about three weeks after the second dose when the Pfizer immunity has probably reached as high as it's going to get. What seems to be happening with AstraZeneca vaccines is the immunity seems to keep carrying on increasing right. beyond that, beyond that three-week point. So I would expect about a month or six weeks after vaccination, those figures to be comparable. So we are seeing great effect against great protection against hospitalization, whichever vaccine people get. Mm. Do you have that on Johnson & Johnson or is it too early to say? It's, it's too early to say from the UK data. That's all that's published. Now, the, the, the Anson Johnson & Johnson was rolled out in the States quite extensively and the Delta variant in the States is up to about 26% now. So the data that they have on the efficacy when they were using a lot of the Anson Johnson & Johnson was based on the previous variants. Mm. So we don't we don't have firm data on that. And the same applies to to the Moderna. But the, the, that data I've given you from the Pfizer BioNTech and the Oxford AstraZeneca, that's based on large scale mm. epidemiological studies by the ONS in 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 the in the, uh, the in the UK countries. And I would expect it to be the same uh, in, in Ireland. In fact, I would expect it to be the same pretty well, pretty well anywhere. So very high levels of protection against serious disease. One thing that we are concerned about with regard to the vaccine rollout, mm. um, and we featured it a lot on the programme, is that in the 60 to 69 cohort, they all got a first AstraZeneca. So too did a lot of healthcare workers got a first AstraZeneca. Yeah. But they didn't get a second. Now that's there's a lot of people out there haven't yet had their second and among them too of course John would be people who are immunocompromised immunosuppressed and we would be very concerned for them how important is it that we get them their second jab as quickly as humanly possible there's two two points there PJ the first is the gap between vaccines now um, people do have a four week gap between between the vaccines or sometimes a three week gap but the the data for the AstraZeneca vaccine is definitely showing that the long term immunity is better if you can have an eight week gap Mm. so so that is good news in, in so far that a lot of people will have an eight week gap, have their second dose two or three weeks after that, they'll have a higher level of immunity mm. or, or, or at least the level of immunity we believe is going to last for longer. Mm. So it, it's a short term danger, but it's it's longer term. It's good news. Yeah, we have a lot of people out there, transplant patients, cancer yes. patients would be very concerned. People who are naturally immunosuppressed or immunocompromised. And they're saying should I start to cocoon again, or as you called it in the UK, shield, should I start to do that? Well, that's a very good point. Now, there's some people, as you've said, who are immunocompromised for whatever reason, people on steroid drugs for inflammatory conditions, for example, asthma or Crohn's disease, or people with cancer, unfortunately, people with cancer treatment therapies, people with HIV, people that are taking immunosuppressing therapies, for example, for organ transplants, and particularly people who have blood cancers are are particularly at risk. Now, data so far in the UK is starting to indicate that these groups of people are not generating the immune response after one or even after two doses of the vaccine, unfortunately, because these factors, whether it's the drugs or the disease state, are preventing the normal functioning of the immune system. Now, given that the Delta variant is increasing in Ireland, 
I'm afraid that does mean that these people who are, are immunocompromised are very vulnerable to catching this. There's no question about that. Even if they're double vaccinated? I'm afraid so, yes. I'm, I'm afraid that is what the data is showing. Now, g given that um, you're expecting things to peak uh, in Ireland probably mid-August in terms of the Delta variant, so that means by sort of September, October, the cases will be down. Your vaccination programme is ramping up. So I am highly optimistic about good levels of community or herd immunity in Ireland mm. by, by autumn. So I would be optimistic that the winter wave, which, which there will be some increases in winter because of the weather and people more indoors, but I'm, I'm optimistic it will be minimal. But these people who are immunocompromised, who aren't, aren't generating immune response properly, I'm afraid the safe thing for them is to guard for a few more months. I know everyone's completely sick of it. Mm. But I really do believe we are in the last furlong. I really believe that. So ju just this last effort, it would be so terrible if, if, if they'd been protecting themselves since March 2020. Mm. Uh, and then they got a, they got a bad, they've got a bad uh, COVID case because of immunocompromise, you know, on the last furlong. John, I know you don't like to speculate, but I did watch your interview on Deutsche Welle uh, last week, mm. and I used a clip of it on the programme because... Something that people are asking, they're asking us and they're asking everybody else, they're looking at the European Championships. They're looking at Wimbledon right. and yeah. they're seeing full stadiums. And we here, with a capacity of 80,000 in our biggest stadium, have got maybe 5,000 in it. And people are saying we're outliers, we're backwards, we're behind, we're behind the curve. John, are we doing the right thing by keeping the crowds small? Yes, I, I really believe you are. There's two, there's two factors there. So, so th this Delta variant is at least twice as transmissible as the original, as the original variant. So basically they said that the UK Kent so-called alpha variant now is about 40% more transmissible. They're now saying the household transmission of the Delta variant is another 64% on top of that. So, you know, if you work out your maths, you're talking about 130, 140%, more than double. Uh, in terms of transmission. Now, we, remember, PJ, we had all the, a lot of riots and things in the United States and demonstrations last year. We're concerned about outdoor transmission there. Now, those fears never came to fruition. Mm. The, the outdoor transmission in the first wave with the, with the wild-type variant was not occurring. But this new variant is probably transmissible enough to spread outside. Now, that's based on limited data at the moment. But of the people that went from Scotland to London... To watch the uh, to watch the football in London, nearly two thousand of those have since tested positive for the Delta variant. That doesn't mean say they got it at the football, you know, because they were sharing the same hotels, they were driving there and back in the same buses on the same trains, they were drinking in the same pubs, um, you know. So so there's other places you could get it as well, but there are five cases from Denmark where the epidemiologists do believe they caught it actually at the game. Now whether that was at the game or in the toilets related to the game or in, in, in the in the tea shop at the grounds or whatever, we don't really know. But um, th there, there is a risk, and until it's demonstrated that this virus can't be spread outside, I, I think Ireland is erring on the side of caution. But that's always important to remember, it's not just the game, it's, all, it's the travel to it, it's all the, all, all, all the sort of before and after activities that goes with that. And, and again, for the sake of another few months, we are so nearly there, PJ, you know. You know, we, we just need to make this last final push. And, uh, you know, I really believe that herd immunity is basically going to take over and start protecting us. John, I look forward to that day. And uh, thank you very so much for I. being with us again. Yeah. Pleasure, PJ. Thanks for having me. 
Always lovely to speak with that band. John Campbell, um, health analyst based in Carlisle in the UK and very honoured by John in return for that interview. He invited me to be on his uh, daily YouTube video reporting on the Irish situation. So delighted to have uh, been involved in that. But there's the data as he's got it with him today. We're not out of this. We're nearly out of it, but we're not out of it. We need to get more and more of us vaccinated. More and more of us vaccinated. And even, unfortunately, if you are vaccinated, you can still get this blasted Delta. Especially if you're someone who would be vulnerable anyway. A lot of learning in the last 12 minutes. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up, it's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're picture this. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With Lucy's Nissan Charleville. Put a smile on your face with the all-new Duke, the Coupe crossover. LucyMotors.com. Cork's 96FM. Now, i got a letter in front. I'll come back to all things COVID in a while, but because there's lots of stuff coming in. But I have a letter in front of me from Quintas. Uh, that huge business company to uh, city council, to their roads department, to the senior engineer in there about the state of John F. Connolly Road in Churchfield. They sent a load of pictures and there's a real problem up there, particularly around the area of the Exchange Business Park. Now, the reason I'm moving to this straight away rather than staying with COVID is I know that Tom Stanton is uh, making space in his diary for us this morning. Tom, thank you very much. Good morning. You're with Ashling Hardwood Flooring and your base is up there in that business park, yeah? That's correct, yes. And what are the problems up there at the moment? The, the pictures show these enormous bollards which look like bits of old sewer pipe full of cement. That's correct. Now, basically, they were there about 20 years, right? Mm. Now, they were put there a long time ago by the council because you would overnight park in there. Mm. Right, now, basically, at the moment, there are, besides the bollards... The, how to put it, the weeds have grown right over the ballard, so now uh, there's nowhere for kids to walk up and down the road, and as well as that, the roads are in a terrible condition. Mm. Now, uh, you know, there's a lot of young kids going up to the sports facilities up there, there's a boxing club, there's a taekwondo club up there, and I've witnessed kind of kids walking down the centre of the road because they've nowhere to walk, and one of these, you know, shortly, or maybe, you know, we don't know, there might be someone knocked down or killed, you know, on that road, because basically it's quite dangerous. Mm. I haven't been up there in a while now, but I'm familiar with those with those big bollards. I hadn't noticed the access problem, but then again, I'm not up there constantly. So you're saying that buggies, people pushing buggies, have to push them in, in the middle of the road, that kind of thing. Well, there is no, there's no way you could use a buggy on that road because basically there's nowhere to walk on the path. Right, right. You know, you'd be coming onto the street, like you have to walk on the road. No, you know, there's a lot of heavy duty trucks going in there out in out to the recycling centre. You know, there's probably about five or six estates up there, not just Exchange Business Park. So it's a quite an active, you know, it's an active area, mostly during the day, right? But, I mean, you know, a lot of the kids I've seen, kids come out of boxing club late in the evening, going down the road, and, you know, they're walking up the centre road, their boxing gloves under their arms, you know, and at the end of the day, I can see one of these kids getting hurt. Yeah. Now, the letter to the council was by Quintess, which is a management group from up there, but... but you'd obviously echo that and all, I think all of your colleagues up in the business park 
want something done about this. Oh yeah, we do because at the end of the day, you know, we're we're, we're taxpayers, we're, we're road users. You know, we pay rates. We you know, we, you know, we we kind of basically, you know, it's we run business out of there. And at the moment, the, the places, you know, literally is a disgrace. Really, the state of the roads, the state of the place. You know, if you, you know, I do business with a couple of international companies, and basically, you know, I kind of feel at the moment if I invite someone over from Germany, from Denmark, I kind of would be slightly embarrassed by the state of the road there. Yeah. Cork City Council's response, well, to us at least, is that they say, or they told the Echo, rather not to us, they said to the Echo, the bollards were installed to address an issue with unauthorised parking. 20 years ago. Yeah. It said that Cork City Council had agreed to undertake a review of the location, identify proposals to address the issues and assess the costs of any improvement work so as to seek funding to implement them, which kind of means nothing's going to happen this week. Well, basically, where funding is concerned, right? You know, if they say they haven't got the funding, they're taking... Oh, I know in the Exchange Business Park, I spoke to Liam Maher, Liam Maher the um, manager of the Exchange Business Park Company Limited, right? He told, you know, he told me last Friday that there's up to £75,000 taken out of the park a year in rates, yeah. right? That's just our park. You know, there's about six or seven more down the line. You know, so... If they say there's there's no funding, they're taking quite a lot of money in rates alone out of it. Mm. They're probably taking, you know, um, permit permit money for the Asgrove Skip Company, which is based up there. They're taking money for um, permits for uh, skips to be parked on the road. They're getting that money. They're getting an awful lot of money. The council are getting an awful lot of money out mm-hmm. of this area. Yes. So funding shouldn't be an issue. You know, you know, at the end of the day, rates rates are paid for lighting and for and for roads. Yes. Right. And, and the, I the letter I have in front of me outlines obviously pedestrian access, the condition of the footpath, the condition of the access road, which is a dreadful, in dreadful state. Last time yeah. I was up there, for, I think it's a dreadful state, and that's a few months ago now. Uh, public lighting, they say, is extremely bad, and it needs traffic calming measures. What well, does? I mean, it, you know, it, it does need all that, and basically it should be done. You know, it's not something that should be long fingered. It should be done straight away. All right. Okay. Listen, Tom, leave it there. Thank you very much for making time in your day to speak with us. That's Tom Stanton from Ashling Hardwood Flooring. He's one of the businesses up in the Exchange Business Park. McNugent, Councillor McNugent was on to say we had a bit on the Echo on Saturday about that. Thanks, Mick, for that. That road's in an awful state. It's for, it's a while now since I was up there. It's months, actually. I was collecting something. The access road is in a cruel state. It's cruel, potholes that you could you could bath babies in up there if she wanted to bath a baby in a pothole. And the state of the pavement. And it's going into a major business park with lots of big businesses in it. So let's see what happens. The council have kind of said, all right, we're looking at it. We won't do a whole pile yet. We don't have the money. But as Tom makes the point, you're getting a small fortune out of the place in rates. So why don't you have the money? I love this one. I I, I just, this, you, you just, you, you can't, get your head around this kind of stuff, right? John says, yet again, you have someone on who agrees with Neffet. This is Dr. John Campbell. Uh, when will you have someone on who doesn't? Dr. John Campbell doesn't know nor care about Neffet. He's based in Carlisle in England. He sorts and analyzes data from reliable sources. Every figure that John Campbell gives, he can give you the source of it. He doesn't care about Neffet. Please. Don't be saying things that'll get you laughed at. 1850-715-996. I rang Friday two of my local chemists. I did try to book online as well. My local pharmacy told me it'll be the end of August by the time my 18-year-old will be done. 
They've rolled it out, but no supply. Yeah, the supply isn't in the pharmacies as of this morning, but they were talking at the weekend that they'd be trying to get the batches out uh, in today or tomorrow. At the moment, they get batches of 50 at a time. They were looking to up that over the weekend. There's about 120,000 doses in storage, so there's plenty of it there. I rang my local chemist to make it a vaccine appointment for my daughter, and to no fault of the chemist, they couldn't take my details because they're waiting on information to come from the government, says Kim. PJ, does the data from John relate to healthy people only? What about people with underlying issues? Well, if you listen back to it, he talks about in healthy people, the level of protection is very, very high with the full vaccine. Unfortunately, in the, later in the interview, he said someone with a severe underlying issue or a compromised immune system or a suppressed immune system, they are still in danger from Delta, even with two vaccines. And that's the data. That's what the science is showing him. You are still in danger after two doses if you are one of the people who, for example, last year was told you should cocoon. I'll come back. I'll come back to it all because I want to move on to this. The employer's representative group, IBEC, has hit out against a proposal by the children's minister, Roderick O'Gorman, to introduce mandatory paid breastfeeding breaks for mothers for up to two years. I'm reading from yesterday's Sunday Times uh, Laura Erskine is from Baby Doc. Hi, Laura. Good morning to you. Good morning. This is coming for a while, and it's a proposal from Roderick O'Gorman, which the employers say is completely out of kilter and unrealistic. I'm sure you disagree. I do, I'm afraid. I mean, all they're looking to do, uh, Minister O'Gorman, is to extend uh, this period from six and a half months to two years for breastfeeding mothers. And that's in line with what is recommended by the World Health Organization that breastfeeding mothers should continue to breastfeed their children up until the age of two as being the best possible um, solution for their children's feeding needs. Now, not everybody can breastfeed, of course. Maybe, uh, Laura, you could summarise what the state of play is at the moment then for someone who is breastfeeding. What are they entitled to? So at the moment, all they're entitled to do is to take one hour's paid leave from work to breastfeed or to express their their breast milk so that they can bring it home to their, their child um, or two 30-minute breaks. This is per day, is it? normal rest time. Um, yes, per day. Okay. Uh, but it's only available to breastfeeding mothers uh, for six and a half months after coming back from maternity leave. And actually, a lot of women tend to take unpaid maternity leaves. They have their, uh, their holidays built up. Uh, and most women try and extend their maternity leave beyond the six months in an unpaid way through their employer. So actually, they don't benefit from these breastfeeding breaks. And when they go back after a year, then they, they just, they're not, able to to avail of this uh, paid leave and it makes it much more difficult for mothers to actually continue to breastfeed Mm. when they return to work and I suppose it's a decision that is forced upon them as opposed to one maybe that they would make so easily if if they knew that they were going to be given the the right sort of Mm. um, pay and indeed breaks uh, to be able to do so to facilitate that. Ibex's argument is, and again I'm quoting from the, the Sunday Times, that it would give rise to significant cost and operational challenges. Hmm. Well, when you consider uh, the the employees that leave the workplace 
to have their cigarette breaks. Um, and, you know, there's no big argument about whether they have to clock in and clock out when they go to do that. I think a mother who who is breastfeeding and really trying to give the best possible uh, feeding solution for her children um, to enable them to be healthier individuals, you know, yeah. over their life, over their own lifetime, yeah. means that, uh, you know, it, it's better for society. I can't see how, you know, figuring out um, half an hour's extra pay to allow breastfeeding should be something that's so operationally difficult or indeed expensive. You mentioned, you mentioned smokers. Like, we have one or two smokers in this building and a couple of times a day, they disappear for 10 minutes for a gasper. No one takes any notice. They time it well. They take it when they have a bit of a down, a downtime in the day, and it just works. It's fine. So-and-so's gone for a smoke. That's grand. Back in 10 minutes. You know, you could make it that easy. You could. And the reality of, of actually expressing your breast milk is is that while Roderick O'Gorman is looking for um, two half an hour uh, breaks, it doesn't even take that long to express your milk um, because, you know, invariably women who, who are looking to express them are bringing these pumps into work which help with the process uh, and having done it myself, it, it can be very efficient and you would be done in sort of 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I, I, the only thing is that you would actually need to have a suitable space within your, uh, you know, employment facility to be able to do this uh, and expressing your breast milk in the toilet certainly would not be a solution. So that's something that also needs to be looked at. Facilities, yeah. Yeah, to to allow that. And when you think, you know, I mean, this is is a really good step in terms of Minister Gorman trying to, you know, to help encourage uh, the long-term benefits of breastfeeding. But there needs to be more done, really, in terms of establishing breastfeeding and the support for parents at the beginning of their breastfeeding journey Mm. in order for this benefit to then um, be effective later on when they're returning to work, that they've actually been breastfeeding for that long, that they can then choose to continue if the right sort of uh, benefits are are, are there Mm. and facilities made by employers. Let's bring someone else in on this. Stay there for me, Laura if you would please. Maeve Murray is a postnatal support doula. We've spoken to about doulas before. Maeve, good morning. Hello. One second, that's that's my fault. Hello again. Hello PJ, how Hi, are you Hi, got doing? you there, got you there. Um, how important is it to facilitate mothers to, to breastfeed for as long as is possible? Uh, yeah, it's it's extremely important, and I guess it is. You know, as Laura said, you know, it's it's about supporting mothers, but it's all and it's also about creating a culture um, and a feeling in society where mothers know that um, breastfeeding is supported. Um, you know, it's it's really that 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 understanding, and it also, I think it also helps um, us as a society to understand. Um, how breastfeeding even works, you know, and that it is possible to continue to breastfeed once you go back to work, because there is definitely, I think, a, a belief in our in our culture that it's not possible to work and breastfeed, um, and if you do, that it's quite difficult, which I think it has been for for moms up to now. Um, you know, as Laura said, you know, um, pumping in toilets, um, moms pumping in traffic on the way to work. Um, you know, mom. Which it can't, to, can't be work. safe as a driver, anyway. Yeah, it's really <laughs> exactly. You know, and I guess if they're yeah, ideally if they were a passenger, but um, yeah, it's it's actually moms have had to make it work. Moms and breastfeeding people have had to make it work up to now, and I guess you know, um, shoehorn their pumping into into their day. And and as Laura said, you know, the pumping um, 
breaks have only been allowable up to six and a half months, which is actually most mums are either just back to work or don't go back to work till maybe nine, ten months. Um, and then they've missed that. So really, um, it wasn't actually that supportive at all. Mm. So right now, with this, um, with these new measures, it's going to make sure that mums, you know, have the ability to, to carve out that pumping time during their day mm. and, you know, sit down with their employer and discuss it and where, where do we stand on rates of breastfeeding in this country? Because we were, if memory serves me correctly, we, mm. we were outliers. We were very low. We were. We were. And I'm not sure of the, of the exact number, but it, it really was, you know, very much lost in the last couple of decades. And it is definitely coming back. And, I, you know, I, we really see so many moms wanting to breastfeed um, it's not for everybody, so it needs to be a choice that moms make with all the information that they need and all the support. And, you know, when, like support here, there's a lot of holes in it. Um, it can be very ad hoc, whether you stumble on the right support at the right time. And mm. support needs to be very timely as well. So there needs to be a lot of preparation in the pregnancy period. Um, and then we need to come in with the support the minute things start to maybe look a little bit wobbly okay. or even before that. Laura, do you do you happen to know if the rates have gone up? Do you have any figures to hand? Um, well, actually, during, during lockdown, um, definitely breastfeeding did increase. Uh, and that was because parents were at home more. They had more support from the partner, even if they were working from home, to be able to help breastfeeding work. And actually, there was less pressure to be to be getting out and about to look like you, you know, you got your figure back that you were you were coping well and that you were out meeting friends for coffee with a newborn baby. So all of that skin to skin and that time bonding at home actually did help breastfeeding rates in Ireland. And they did go up by about 20 percent during the lockdown periods. Um, uh, but breastfeeding is still very low generally within Ireland. Mm. About 40% mm. of mums are, are breastfeeding within the first three days after baby's birth. However, that drops to 30% in the couple of weeks after they get home from work. And then it's down to one in five parents who are breastfeeding up wow. to the six-month rate. And what does so the WHO stand on breastfeeding? They, they recommend it as the, prepared, as the preferred way, do they? They do indeed, and that's because of the amount of antibodies um, and benefits that you're giving your child through your breast milk. It's it's known to prevent everything from childhood illnesses such as asthma and eczema, and, and even be preventative for the parent, the mom who is breastfeeding, um, in terms of breast cancers, ovarian cancers, that actually there's a dual benefit there for okay. both baby and indeed mom. So it is definitely recommended, um, you know, exclusively for the first six months and supplementary then for the first two years of a child's life, if you can do it. And okay. I know as a breastfeeding mother myself, it's not always straightforward. Child okay. number one was perfect and number two and three was definitely difficult and I needed the support that uh, your other guest, the doula, had uh, recommended. Okay. A timing is so important. I'm going to leave it there. Laura and Maeve. Uh, thank you very much, Laura Erskine and Maeve Murray. Thank you both. I just want to take, before the news, I need to ask Mary. Mary, you, you breastfed all your children, but you would not be in favour of this. Will you hold on until after the news for me? I will. That'd be okay. great. We'll, we'll talk then. Thanks very much. Yeah. Cheers. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymade Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
Right, I asked Mary to hold until after the news and thank you for doing so. Speaking before the news with Laura Erskine from Baby Doc Club and Maeve Murray, who's a a doula, about this idea that the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, has to introduce mandatory paid breastfeeding breaks for mothers for up to two years. They presently get six months. Minister wants to bring it in for two years. The employers group IBEC is bitterly opposed to it. Laura and Maeve were both making the case before 10 for doing it. But then Mary rang to say, look, I fed all my own children myself, but I wouldn't be in favour of this. Thanks for holding, Mary. Why would you not be in favour of it? Good morning. Just, I suppose, um, when I did get back to work after you know, being in complete mommy mode or whatever for, you know, the maternity leave. I just feel, you know, it was a fantastic, I suppose, mental health kind of getting back into work, getting back into the swing of it, get back, you know what I mean? And it was a complete break, I suppose, like kind of things myself, back into the workplace and, you know, being able to kind of, I suppose, segregate my work and home life to that extent, you know. And did you think, stop uh, breastfeeding when you went back? No, I did it morning and evening. Right. You right. know, so I think the baby, and it was still actually probably getting better because I was, I never pumped, like kind of thing. So, you know what I mean? I just fed the baby. So you get the contact. So you're actually getting, I think actually that that is probably the most rewarding experience, especially as the child gets older because like they're on solids, they're, getting fluid from other sources. You know what I mean? It's, you're not the only source. You know, breast milk isn't the only source of right. n- nutrition at that stage. So you would and feed in, fact, in the morning? You were encouraged, yeah. yes. And you, you would feed in the morning and, the, and, then, and then during the day, whoever was minding the, the child. Day, they'd yeah. have the, you know, and you're actually encouraged not to have the child still drinking bottles after the age of one. Anyway, so they're supposed to be drinking out of cups, the sippy cups or whatever at that stage. Yeah. You're encouraged to take them off bottles. So why would you keep a child on bottles now or the equivalent for two years? Yeah. Well, the WHO they, says they should be breastfed for up to two years. Well, I don't. I I just don't agree, and I really think that the that the additional benefit of extending it to that time. And I'm sorry, I always had an, to see a child walking over to the mother and lifting up her t-shirt or whatever for mm. I. Just, I, I just never thought it was necessary. I'm really? I, no, I don't. I don't think it's necessary. I think really that you, I absolutely agree. It Do you have a problem? Marvelous thing. Not a problem with it. I just think it's unnecessary. I don't think it's very good for the child. How do you mean not good for the child? Like in, <coughs> Excuse in me. terms of that kind of. I'd rather, you know what I mean, see them moving on, like kind of thing. I think it's kind of regressive, to be perfectly honest. Right. Well, to go yeah. to say, look to Mammy, then Mammy, I'm hungry, and I know where it comes from, so can well, we... Well, you know, well, I, I, well, all the, like, the breastfeeding work, they're talking about pumping anyway, so the child isn't even, isn't doing that, you know what yeah. I mean? So, really, I think that the marginal, like, if you can keep breastfeeding morning and evening... Mm. Like the child is probably only getting one actual. Yeah. 
And I guess that was that was your choice. And and, and, and I suppose that was my choice. But I suppose even in a workplace environment, I just think it's going to bring women back into the dark. We have been fighting so hard to be seen as equal in work. But hang on a while. How would it be bringing them back into the dark ages if we normalise something that is nature's most normal way of feeding? Because, again, it's creating differences between men and women in the workplace that are that have, you know, we've been trying to say, listen, we can, you know, it, it just, it's very visual and it's very, you know, people excusing themselves maybe to go to meetings and, you know, it's just not practical in, in a lot of workplace environments for people to be well, taking. All it would involve in an office, right. I imagine, is one small corner office, perhaps. Uh, one and small corner space uh, where people can go and all and the last thing I'm sorry like I want inside my office to be open in a fridge and seeing bottles of stored milk inside there why it just it's just not part of my like that's that's what I mean that's my yeah like that was my home life when I'm in work I want to be in a workplace environment not some hybrid of yeah you, you, know, you, you, you agree with, with Ibex, so therefore that there'd be an impact to office life for small so. businesses. Yes, and I think, like, I, you know, I'm totally for breastfeeding. I would never, but, you know, everything in its play, like, kind of thing, I just. It sounds uncomfortably like, Marion, and if I misinterpret you, then I apologise in advance, but yeah. it sounds uncomfortably like do it in your own home behind closed doors. No, absolutely not. I've breastfed everywhere I've had, you know what I mean, I, I, the, one of the best things actually was one of those baby slings I used to walk around. Yeah, had, yeah, okay. Had the adapter. No, absolutely okay. not. And that's at work though? Not, well, just, I just think even for the, I would have found it very, to be, I suppose, even to put a mother under that, you're coming back to work, you've been mm. missing. It's hard enough, like, kind of thing, I think, you know, your employer has already supported you through maternity, being pregnant, mm. you know, giving you time off for your antenatal appointments and all that kind of thing. And I just think it has to stop somewhere. Right. Like, how long is this? Like, you're talking about, you know, like, so if you're talking about maybe nine months, you know, six months, okay, that the employer knows you're pregnant, your maternity up to the child two years. That's two years that the child that your employer is expecting to provide support financially. Mm. But sure, if you invest in you great people, child. you get great results. You know. I'm sorry, I don't want any of my ch- like. If if they took three years out of my work life, it's a huge. It, it, it's just you know what I mean. It, it, it's just mm. unnecessary. It, right. You know what I mean. Absolutely, right. your employer. You know, I have a great employer who is very supportive of, you know, any they need a time off or if you, you know, what I mean, if you weren't mm. feeling well or would, you know, tell you to go home early on a Friday or something like that if they thought you looked a bit tired or something. You know what I mean? I had an mm. amazing, but you know, you can take take just take it too far, that kind of thing. I, as I say, you can keep it up morning. And even, you know the child can still get huge benefits from it, but like kind of thing you have you're talking about really lunchtime maybe in the middle of the day the child having to have juice or water or whatever you know what I mean instead and that's good for them too because they're you know it's necessary but 
we were told mm-hmm. that. Like okay. the, the whole thing changes. I'm in I'm in an unenviable position here. Envy, but I, yeah. I don't. I, I I actually don't know who's right here. To be quite there's frank, no, there's no right or wrong. But the thing is, pushing it down, uh, making obligations for employees. I'm sure if a woman. I certainly feel that in my workplace, if a woman felt that strongly about it, you know what I mean, the employer would it listen to her or something like that. But really, I just think, you know, you have okay. to be, I just don't think the extra benefit to the child okay. is worth the, you know, what it would mean to every, like, okay. it just used to drive me mad when I was, when women were crying and they talk about things like baby brain. Like, you know what I mean? We really don't need any more negativity around women, you know, taking time off for families and things like that. We've made huge strides, I think. People being able to work from home will facilitate a lot of women in being able to fit this into their normal day anyway. So, you know what I mean? I think that will be a huge benefit going forward and maybe this legislation could wait and see how the working from home and things that for yeah, well, you know, not that working years. from home is going to be the legacy of this pandemic to, to be fair listen Mary it's yeah. been a pleasure to speak with you and I don't know okay. whether listeners will agree with you or not but I personally am on no side at all here because I don't know Jesus that's so long ago now since there were small children in my house I'm far from qualified to decide either way thank you Mary uh, 185715997 Callie Callie you're, you're Australian I think but you live here in, in Ireland good morning Hi, how are you? Hi, uh, you were listening to, to Mary there. I, I, as I said, I'm not sure what side to be on here, so I'm just <laughs> going to sit in the middle and listen. No problem at all. Um, yeah, I just I thought I'd come on. I kind of have a different view. Um, I, like I said, I'm from Australia and we're very kind of pro-choice, really letting women choose whether they breastfeed, but we are predominantly breastfed. You know, most women mm. in Australia choose to breastfeed. Um, coming to Ireland, I've had two children here now. Um, and I'm currently breastfeeding now, and I'm not going to say where I am in Ireland, um, but I am in a small village, and I almost have to hide that I breastfeed. It's kind mm. of almost like I should be ashamed, really. Really? Yeah. Um, so, like, I've struggled with my breastfeeding journey here in Ireland, especially coming from somewhere where it's just so normalised, yeah. you know? Like, where would you have struggled, Callie? Where would you, like, would you feel uncomfortable? I know everything is closed at the moment now, but say in normal times in a coffee shop, would you have felt oh, uncomfortable, yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah, and I know people, I've had comments from people that maybe, like, that I shouldn't be feeding or would I not put my children in a bottle yet, kind of comments that mm. in in my first child that really got to me, it definitely got to my mental health, that I was maybe doing something wrong. Was I harming my child by still breastfeeding? And well, the World Health Organization thinks otherwise, you know? Yeah, Yeah, and I, I think maybe it's a lack of education maybe here. I feel if people knew more of the benefits and women in the workplace were able to keep breastfeeding, you know, then... It wouldn't be such a controversial yeah. or a shame. You, you'd support the idea then to give facilities and make facilities available to, to women in the workplace for up to two years, yeah? Oh, 100%. Like, we already have that in Australia. It's just 
Give me an Australian example. So you go back to work after after mat leave, and what's there in the office? What what are the facilities available? There's always a separate kind of room that's available, or even in the lunchroom you're available. Even at your desk, you're allowed to breastfeed. Uh, or sorry, breastfeed or pump. Mm-hmm. Um, you're actually allowed to. There's time allowed while you're working to leave the, your workplace to go and feed your child if they're in childcare or daycare and then come back to work. Right. It's not included in your lunch breaks kind of thing. So there's a, a time allowed for you to leave to feed your children to come back. And you don't have to give that time back, no? No. And no. you don't lose any wage for it, no? You don't lose any wage. Right. And how long has that been there, Kelly? I'd say it's a good few years. Like, my sisters are there having children at the same stage. And, mm. and how long How long did it last for? Um, I'd say I don't, I don't actually know that. Um, mm. right. I know my, my sisters are still breastfeeding their kids and they leave and kind of come back or okay. pump at work. And, okay. and it's just normal part of life, yeah? Yeah, That's whereas I feel almost ashamed to still be breastfeeding past six months. Okay. And it shouldn't be like that. All right. Kelly, it's good of you to call. Thank you very much. That's two contrasting views there. And I have no idea where to sit. So I'm kind of listening in the middle and taking them both into account. But uh, it's certainly one that gets people talking. 1850-715-996. I'm a bit put out, though, by what Kelly has said, that, you know, she'd almost be made feel guilty for breastfeeding, the idea that you'd be in a cafe or a restaurant or whatever and you would decide to feed during lunch and that someone might give out to you about it. I thought we were past that. Obviously not. 1857 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. When you sit next to somebody in primary school, which I did, and you then see a trailer for a show, a television show, about Ireland's rich list, and they're going to be on it, you're interested. Dan Kiley and I... Dan from Vox Pro and tell us all. We sat next to each other in Skullcrease for many years. And himself and Linda will feature tonight on Ireland's Rich List on RTE, presented by Richard Curran. And it's it's a look at how the richest in Ireland have done during the pandemic, isn't it, Richard? Good morning to you. Good morning, yeah. It is very much, rather than just say um, it's a list and, and some of the people will be the same and others would be different, we decided to have a look at the pandemic and see what sort of businesses gained in value and people's wealth gained in value and others that would have lost out depending on how things went. And And it is a kind of a... There's two different stories there. It really depends on what you were doing and what you had your money invested in or what what type of thing your business does. So, for example, if you're selling groceries, uh, they would have done very well. If you're involved in software, it seemed to be oblivious to the pandemic. Mm. Um, That sort of thing, data centers, anything to do with data, all of those people did well. Is there a a risk, um, Richard, that when so many people have lost jobs and lost businesses and are living at home counting their pennies, that a programme like this kind of rubs their noses in it as well? 
Well, I think it's perhaps some person might feel, you know, I don't want to watch that because it's just a million miles away from my reality. The other side of it is that um, I think there's still a huge curiosity among mm. people about wealth and about the wealthy. And I think the point you made there about, you know, the, the, the guy beside you in national school, Dan Kiley, if you take a rich list in America and it's got Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and you take one in Britain and it's got Richard Branson and all these people on it, we only have a very small number of kind of celebrity billionaire types in Ireland. But in Ireland, people are curious because there's a reasonable chance that they know somebody who knows somebody on this list that, you know, my cousin sat beside that guy and he told me a story about him. And, and that, I think, gives an added dimension. And the other thing as well is there's not a huge amount of inherited wealth here. You know, there are some families that, you know, there have been family businesses around a long time. A lot of people have, have done this themselves. And I, I, I do think people have an appreciation for that. People who maybe were born into very, very different circumstances and, and made a lot of money off their own hard work. So who is featured tonight? Dan and Linda, obviously. Who else is on it? Well, what we've done is, we, we, in looking at gainers and losers and ups and downs because of the pandemic, the, the biggest single gainers are the, the, the monster uh, Tipperary-born, Limerick-educated uh, John and Patrick Collison of Stripe because yes. they're in a business that involves online payments. It's been growing anyway, but online payments just took off exponentially during the pandemic. And we, we've, you know, we've seen a huge rise in their wealth, up 300% uh, from what? an estimated $5 billion, uh, to $20 billion, which is pretty phenomenal. That must put phenomenal. them straight to the top, does it? That does, yeah. It's the biggest increase. It makes them the wealthiest Irish people. They're only, what, 30 and 32 and uh, it's not to say that they could just that they have 20 billion in the bank that's the value placed company. on the shares they own in that company uh, the company was valued at 100 billion based on the last uh, uh, share investment round 100 in, billion yeah and in many ways that <sighs> that is based on the future profits that those investors believe that company would. and remind us again this is a little bit of software that they invented as it were for online payment, and now the company is worth a hundred billion. Yeah, and it's it's uh, based in Silicon Valley. They're also investing massively in Ireland. They're going to hire a lot of people uh, in Ireland. Several hundred new jobs, and one of them, John Collison, uh, who I interviewed on the radio show uh, some time back on RTE, very nice guy, tremendously bright guy. He 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 was in the news recently. He's he's buying a big Georgian country pad with a thousand acres. And what's interesting about that? It's going to cost about twenty million euro. It's not quite their style, you know, uh, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he has other plans for it. I don't think he's going to sort of just sit there and host dinner parties. That's not the kind of guys they are. They will probably use it for other things. They might entertain guests. They might use it for, you know, restore the woodlands, whatever. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's got some sort of a, a grand plan for that rather than just uh, rock up there and hang out at the weekends. Richard, I was, as a business journalist and, and presenter of the business programme, as you said on RTE, you meet these people all the time. Did you discover anything in making this two two part series that surprised you? I think <clears throat> the thing that, that I have from interviewing and meeting and, and, and spending some time with very successful business people over many years, those of us who are outside of that, those of us who are not in that world, often think the idea is 80% of making the millions. The idea is probably only about 10%. Other things come to play. Who you hire, who you hire who's good at the things you're not good at, how much hard work you put into it, how much luck you get. 
Um, we all think that we have a wonderful idea that's going to make us rich, and I won't tell you my idea, because if I tell you, you'll run off and become rich. It actually doesn't work that way. The idea is really only a small part. And, and a lot of these people uh, would have built these businesses up from scratch. And when they become rich, I know if it was me, if I had a fraction of that money, I'd have probably cashed in my chips and I'd be uh, sitting around on a beach. You and me both, man. You and me both. These, these guys keep going, you know. Yeah, they, they keep going. It's, it's, I look forward to it. Uh, Richard, thank you very much. Richard Curran, who is the presenter of Ireland's Rich List, a two-part exploration of the richest in the country. Those two lads, the Collisons from Stripe, like 100 billion the company's worth. And they got, what, 20-something billion in shares? Like, it's, it's, it's mad. It's mad. And getting back to Dan and Linda, as I said, Dan and I sat together in primary school. And then when I was getting into this line of work, um, before the days of really good mobile phones, before the days of any mobile phones, except these things you carried around in a gear bag, you had a pager. Uh, and doctors still have them, but you had a pager, like a little thing about half the size of a mobile phone, and you clipped it on your belt. And if somebody wanted you, they rang the paging company and said, I need to get in touch with PJ Coogan, and there'd be a bleep, and I'd get a message to ring so-and-so. ASF. That's how it worked for ages, and I carried one of these things, and I bought it off Dan Kiley. So that's where they went, Pageboy Services, and now it's Box Pro. And oh, it's his round. The next time I see him, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Cork Orchestral Society's 2021 programme comes to a close this Saturday with a performance featuring three of Ireland's finest sopranos. It's titled Diva and Magella Culla, Emma Nash and Kelly Lonergan Join forces with pianist Michael Joyce to perform a variety of classics at Triscoll Christchurch. Access all areas. Cork's public is invited to Elizabeth Fort Barrack Street for a series of live outdoor shows that will suit all tastes. From Laura O'Mahony to Bosco, the Everyman Sunday Songbook to Ty Kiki, the programme has something for the whole family and starts on Friday, July 23rd. Access all areas. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Areas. 
feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events coming up in Cork by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on side On Cork's 96FM There's a discussion among our listeners this morning after we spoke before 10 about the new plan by the Minister for Children Roderick O'Gorman to extend paid best breastfeeding breaks for mothers for up to two years. It's presently six months. IBEC is opposed. We spoke to a couple of people before 10 who believe it's a good idea. Mary, after 10, wouldn't want it to happen at all. Followed up by Callie, uh, who's Australian but living here, who thinks it's the right thing to do and it's just a normal part of life in Australia that if you need a break at work to breastfeed your child you can have a break at work to breastfeed your child and no one's ever bothered by it it's just a normal way of life Sarah, good morning to you Good morning <laughs> Oh crikey, I phoned this because I feel quite passionate about this subject well, um, Actually what I'm doing is, I said to myself Sarah I, I actually, look, my, my kids are grown up now so, you know, the, and there was no there was no breastfeeding in our house because we were both working and it just wasn't the done thing but, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of listening to both sides of this argument, trying to figure out which one to be on. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, my kids are all grown up now. I mean, 15 years old, my youngest now. I breastfed four of them. Mm. Um, I grew up in a home where my mother breastfed all of us in front of, you know, all the siblings. There was five of us in England, yeah. And so it was normal for me. So I wanted to take it on and I I actually had my first child with my Irish husband in Germany and um, it was just natural there. They they just put the baby on your breast straight away. There's no questions about it. It was, yeah. Now, I had the second one, I was, had the second one here and I'm afraid that wasn't quite, um, I I didn't meet such a, uh, oh, it was a bit hostile at times. Hostile? Yeah. In, in what way? Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of like because I was used to being um, open about it, I never, I mean, I would never, I would sit in a cafe and, and feed my oldest child, you know, but I would put a scarf around myself. I never exposed myself. Mm. And, and I thought that I could actually do that here when I first came here. And yeah. I wasn't able to, you know, I was asked. And how long ago was like, that, Sarah? Now, this was quite a few years ago. This was 20 years ago. Well, if you're to listen to Callie, who was on me a while back, not yes, much has changed. Yeah. It hasn't, and it hasn't, because I'm, I'm in, in my job, and I'm passionate about what I do. I mean, I'm a nurse, and I'm not a mid, midwife, I'm a nurse, and I will be asking patients very often when I, when I come across pregnant patients, you know, what would you choose to do? Would you choose to breastfeed or bottle feed? And it, it breaks my heart when girls just turn around to me and say, oh, oh, bottle, of course. You know, it's sort of like it's. It's it's. It's a very toxic enough. argument on social media. Actually, the breast versus bottle thing. You kind of look at it and go, "Hang on, there's people tearing each other apart about feeding children for pity's sake." What's that about, yeah. like? Well, this you we we all know that it's it's what what our breasts are intended for. Yeah. You know, I mean, sorry, that's what they're there for. I mean, I, I know that sort of like um, it's it's. You know, I mean, it's natural. It's something. It's not bloody easy. 
I said four, and, and it's never easy. Yeah. I mean, obviously it got easier down the line, but it was never sort of, um, it was never natural. Um, it, you know, it, it was hard. It, it was not always easy for me to do. Yeah, and your your experience, pardon me, were you working in Germany? I was working in Germany. So, so your experience when you went back to work after having the baby, was that, what was that like? It was it was fantastic. I mean, sort of like first of all, I had two years off, and I came back fairly soon because I got pregnant with my second one. So I came back to Ireland fairly soon after my after my maternity leave finished mm. in Germany. It was a two year one, and I was paid full time for two years. Right, and were you a nurse yeah. then? Was it? I was nursing there as well. Yes. But so you were I mean, off for two years and paid your full wage. Not full wage. It was half wage after the first year. Right. But you're getting years full wages. Yes, yeah, yeah. Crikey. Crikey. And, I mean, obviously all the facilities were there for for breastfeeding her. I I was not made to feel um, in any way, shape or form, uncomfortable about it. You know, I mean, it was... And then then coming here was quite hard because, I mean, mean, again, in a small village... I love being here. It's fantastic to bring up mm-hmm. my kids. I couldn't wish for a better place to bring up children. But I'm afraid, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy. And and like if you went into the cafe, say in Germany, because Germany, mm-hmm. some some German people can be quite conservative, as, as I'm sure you know. Like, yes. Would it have been the norm to feed in a cafe or something like that? Absolutely, definitely. And this yes. is what I 15 mean, years ago, I maybe. Mean, when we're saying we're, we're talking conservative, we're, we're not, not conservative doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they would. Uh, they know also what is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, there's, there's, that's a different type of conservative. As you know, I wouldn't see that as uh, you know. I mean, you could sort of say a lot of Irish people are conservative in in their treatment of people that do breastfeed, and yet they wouldn't normally be. Yeah. Would you be surprised as someone like you say who's lived and worked and, and, and breastfed in, in Germany and in the UK, would you be surprised that we don't have legislation like this in place already? I'm, I, it's, un, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it doesn't make it easier. I mean, it should be made easier for women to do this. I mean, I know that we're sort of like looking for daddies to be a bit more involved in childcare and what have you, and it's sort of like zipping them out. There's one job them. daddies can't do is this one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, I do realise that because we are sort of like in a, in a in an environment now which is fantastic to involve daddies more because they never used to have any kind of sort of like input in childcare. So there is that, but that is the only thing. Yeah, that yeah. is the only thing that I can actually see that sort of like a, a, a con, yeah, as not to be encouraging women. I mean, how? I mean, I didn't, I didn't sterilise my nipple every time I latched my child on. Mm. You know, and, and now we're sort of like we're having to sterilise bottles and we're talking about clean, you know, being overly clean now, but what better could a child have than their parents' antibodies? Ain't that the truth? Listen, Sarah, thank you very much for calling the opinion line. Sarah Murray, uh, 1850 a lot of mixed views out there and we're happy to hear them. We'll take this one to the morning if you've thoughts on it. The idea that the Minister for Children wants to introduce paid breastfeeding breaks for mothers for up to two years. And the women calling us this morning who've been in other parts of the world, like Callie is from Australia and Sarah spent a number of years in Germany. Like, and she's saying, what? 
you're actually having this conversation now, where in the rest of the world it has been the norm since forever? 1850 Look again to New Zealand, says this message. The Prime Minister brought her baby to work. She did, Jacinda Ardern. She brought her baby into the Parliament. I don't, did she actually? I have a vague memory that Jacinda Ardern actually breastfed during a parliamentary debate. I'm not, I think she did. I think she did. I may be wrong on that one, but I know some female politician worldwide did that. Thanks to Kevin, he's brought our attention to a tweet from Naomi O'Leary, who is the European correspondent for the Irish Times. And they're doing all these events now around Europe, and we're all looking on here, and people are saying, why can't we do that? Well, John Campbell said this morning, better off to be careful for another wee while. 165 people have tested positive for COVID in the Netherlands after a single disco with 650 patrons. In other words, a decent club crowd on a Saturday night in Cork. They all had to show proof of a negative test or a vaccination to get in. Though there, there aren't loopholes. and They're discovering loopholes in the system now. People sharing screenshots and stuff like that. But 165 cases out of a disco with 650 guests. That's quite sobering. 1850-715-996. Actually, while I'm on that, something I meant to come back to earlier on, the, the symptoms of COVID and the symptoms of the Delta variant in particular would appear to be different. You remember back along we were told a cough, a headache, a fever. Well, cough, headache and fever, headache is still the main indicator. But fever is only way down now at number four, number five in the list. Persistent cough is number five in the list. Sore throat and a runny nose. And the one worry, and there was a GP from Donegal on the national radio this morning talking about people up. They have a big problem in Bunkrana and Donegal at the moment. And the GP was saying that this Delta variant in some people can present like bad hay fever or can present like hay fever you've never had before and you think ah just hay fever I've cut the grass bang sore throat runny nose not feeling great get yourself tested if you're if you've if, if you've got hay fever that is worse than usual or that you've never had before it may be worth getting yourself tested because the the symptoms the symptoms list and this is a guy called Professor Tim Spector has been doing a symptom study in the UK. It's called the Zoe study, and it it tracks symptoms in those people with confirmed cases. And he is an epidemiologist, is Professor Spector. And he said the number one symptom at the moment is headache, then sore throat, then runny nose, which we never had before, fever and a persistent cough. And also we hear a lot of reports now that sneezing... A lot of sneezing, which again would line up with the hay fever thing. The NHS in the UK is being under repression to update its list. The US now recognises 11 actual symptoms of COVID, including headache and runny nose. And in fact, uh, the presenter in the BBC, Andrew Marr, he does their politics programme there at the weekend. He was one of the unlucky ones, as John 
Campbell says you can be. He caught COVID after being fully vaccinated. And he took a PCR test, he confirmed. But he said early symptoms are very, very like a cold. So he initially thought he'd picked up a summer cold somewhere. But actually it turned out that he had COVID-19. And now the research being done by Professor Spector, who is, as I said, an epidemiologist, and this COVID symptom study, that it can actually mimic a summer cold or hay fever you might never have had before. So just just putting you wise, that's our job, to present data and fact and research. So that's what we got for you. Okay. It can be very like a summer cold or bad hay fever. The Sloan to Care plan, we're hearing more about it as we go along. And Sloan to Care, when it eventually does come in somewhere around 2075 or 2180 20, or whatever it ended up, um, it involves a plan for four new primary care centres in Cork. Uh, these are the kind of things that are primary care would be a place like you've got down in or up in St Mary's Orthopaedic be primary care centre there the one out in Mallow which is a fabulous one there's one down in Blackrock Hall in uh, in Blackrock but there's one planned for Bandon for Bantry for Beira and for Cove but Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould you're not happy about that good morning good morning Peter you're not happy about that no, I am actually very happy that they're rolling out primary care centres. My issue is that there's only one in my constituency in Cockroach Central, and when you see it with a population of over a hundred thousand people, and like I attend the the orthopaedic, the St Mary's campus myself, where my own GPs are George Romani and Nick Flynn, and it's a fabulous service where you have nurses, dentists, uh, you have a podiatrist, you have all the services up there. But then there's vast areas of constituency, places like uh, Mayfield, Balavalen, right into Glanmire. Where well, Mayfield's only over the road, Thomas, come on. Well, if you're down at Glanmire, PJ, St Mary's isn't over the road. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it, PJ, is like what we know from the studies when they developed the, the Slaughter Care Plan, for the best outcomes for people in health is to have the health service locally. That's the whole concept of primary care. Mm. It's accepted and supported by all the parties. And what you know is if you can give the GPs, like GPs know their patients the best. And if you could support GPs with wraparound services so that you're not sending them to, like at the moment you go to your GP, you're sent to this person, you're sent to physiotherapy, you're sent to uh, a hospital, like, what you have in St. Mary's campus is you have all the services there. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I go up to get my bloods done every three months, I'm a diabetic. I go up there, I see the doctor, I get my blood, my blood work done. Um, th- th- I, there's other things then about uh, my diet and my feet and mm, all that. Mm, mm, mm. And, like, if you're living in places like Mayfield or Glamour or even in the rural areas, places like Calvary or Whitechurch, places like that, what we need now is more primary care centres. And the thing is, PJ, we know these... So how many would you put in Cork North Central, if you could? Well, what I thought would is there should be a couple more planned. There's actually none even in the plan at the moment. Mm. And, like, PJ, if, like, I welcome that they're rolling them out right across the county. That's a good thing. 
But the point is, when you look at the population of the north side, and PJ just feeds it to all what I've, I, I've been on the phone to you at least once a month about a lack of services in the north side, whether it's SOTOC, whether it's GPs, whether it's uh, bus service, whether it's the North Ring Road. Mm. We seem to be just forgotten. But you have a fabulous up campus up there in St Mary's. It's a fabulous yeah. campus. It's the envy of many places, Thomas. It is, teacher, but you have over 100,000 people living in the north side. You think, well, primary care campus can cater for that amount of people. And do you think they're peppered all over the south side? Which they're not, well, we, know, we, we know there are four on the south side. You what? There are four on the south side. And there's another two planned. You know? And they said, I don't begrudge them. Where are back. the four, by the way? There's one in Blackrock, there's one in, one in Carrigaline. Yes, and you've had a passage. Right. And the, what you have is there's one plan for Balfi Hall, and there's another one in the planning for Ballacolic, which was like a town the size of Ballacolic would need us, need one. But then why is there one plan for, for Glanmire, uh, a town as, uh, or a community equally as big as Ballacolic? You know, like Glanmire is the same as Carrigaline. Would you not think so? I can see your point, absolutely. So is why so, why does no one seem to want to develop one in Glenmore? Yeah, it seems like we when we developed the scholarship share plan, um, what we got was cross party support. But what mm. we're seeing from the government now is they're they're supporting us uh, verbally, but they're not supporting us with money, and that's mm. what we. Need no, what I mean is, Thomas, like in many of the places that, of which you speak, like BlackRock is the one that I go to myself rather than that. Like, that was a number of practices that came together and put that together. Like, it's not like the state builds these huge places and, and, and everyone flocks to them. Like, they're businesses and people decide to put them there. Yes, but what happens is for these to work, PJ, there must be the whole wraparound services. You need nurses, you, you do, need yeah. dentists, you need podiatrists, and the state must fund that. Because otherwise... Uh, unless there's support from the state to roll these out, like GPs alone can't can't do all this work. Like you, you see what happens in BlackRock. I see what happens in St Mary's campus. Like PJ, we we know they work, and even during the pandemic, like it was the GPs were at the front line. So for me, what I'm looking for is you've you've huge areas of Tower, Blarney, Glanmire. Mm. All the rural areas out there. Well, Blarney right. could do with so, one now. I'll give you that one for, for nothing. Blarney could do with one, and I'd agree with you on land. Yeah, you could, yeah, they could all do. So maybe maybe some enterprising um, GPs or enterprising business people could get together and provide one, and the GPs move into well, it. Well, it's, you see, the thing is, PJ, like at the moment, there's one bit at the, the preliminary stages for Ballon College. No, it's at the very early stages. But that would be 2025 before that's rolled out. Like, what I think the government should be doing now, and now we're after raising to the minister, is to even put uh, put uh, early planning in place so that GPs can go to the HSC and say, listen, we're interested in getting involved. Mm. But the thing is, GPs are private operators, Tom. That's the point. GPs are private operators. Yes, but, like, you're, you're on Black Rock, and I'm up the same area as campus, Right. For, for these to work, they must be supported by the state. And PJ, the thing about it is, it keeps people out of hospitals. Ah, yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I, I think that we should have as many as possible of them around around the place. But they're businesses, they're private businesses. Maybe a bit of state help, yeah, but they're private businesses at the end of the day. Thomas, thank you. Uh, Thomas Gould, uh, Sinn Féin TD. 
for Cork North Central. But those primary care centres, yeah, there's a bit of state involvement, but they're not, they're private businesses. Every GP is a private business. Okay, you've got your medical card and you go to your private GP, but... Yeah. 1850-715-996. Oh, but, but for the record, I, I think he's right about Blarney, Glenmire, places like that. But let's have some business acumen and actually get one opened. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Weekdays, 6 to 9am. On Cork's 96FM. Morning, Killian. Morning, lad. What do you oh, do? I work for a bank down here, so... And hopefully we'll be walking out with two grand. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. My friends with a nice, uh, uh, a low yielding bond, maybe. Yeah. Where, where, would you, where would you recommend you put two grand these days? Because into my pocket. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at nodc.com. Cork's 96 the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Want to read this one out for you. And bear in mind we will be returning to COVID-19 and where we go from here round about the half 11 mark because of that meeting that takes place today between the hospitality industry and the government to see what kind of a plan they can put in place hospitality industry is looking to be open indoors from the 19th of July and they're demanding demanding that something be done about it they demanded that Neffet be at the meeting today Neffet isn't going to be at the meeting today I can't blame Neffet for not wanting to get involved in a meeting like that. Why would you go into a meeting where people had been wanting you disbanded two weeks ago? Now they want to talk to you. Why would you insult yourself by going into a meeting like that? But that's just me. But we'd be going with that around about the half 11 mark. Morning, PJ. I wanted to say, this is from Josephine, and I love it. Uh, I wanted to say, I was looking through my diary of last year, and imagine, in a day in mid-July, we had 23 cases nationally and I noted that the government said we need to take this very seriously. And imagine all the cases we had yesterday. We had 500, nearly 570 cases yesterday. But I know we have the vaccine back up and the new plan. However, to be honest, we just need to be so, so careful. Many thanks and have a lovely day. And you too, Josephine. And that is a very valid point. I did the comparison on Friday where our 14-day incidents... This time last year, a single day's caseload now was triple the 14-day incidence from this time last year. And we have to bear that in mind. Absolutely have to bear that in mind. We come back to the whole reopening indoors and outdoors and vaccine passes and the whole thing around about half past 11. But I don't know how you take a podcast as elaborate with screens and cameras up the side of Quran Tuhal. But they've done it, the two Norries. How did it go, James? Good morning to you. 
Morning, PJ. Um, thanks for having us on again. Delighted. Uh, it, it, you didn't take the screens and the studio up the side of Quran Tool, did you? No, you couldn't. We were thinking about it, but it rained the whole day. So we had what we had. Um, we had this little kind of microphone recorder thing. It's called the Zoom HA. It's a great yeah. piece of equipment. I have one myself. And, yeah, and we put a little windshield over the XY mic, which yes. not without getting into technical terms. It's a little mic on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mic on top of a portable recorder. And uh, my cousin Rowan, who does the production for us, he documented it. He was going around up and down that mountain. He did with these headphones. And we just got people's stories, and I suppose we're going to put all that together then with the photographs and the videos we captured, you know, and kind of make a little piece of video out of it, you know. Brilliant. So it was done for charity, and that's the important part. Exactly. We did it for charity. We did it for Cox Simon Community and Penny Dinners. They're two charities that will be close to myself and Timmy's house. And we got about 60 people, I'd say, turned up on a Sunday morning in the lashing rain, I must say. It rained the whole way. It took us a little over six hours to get up the devil's ladder and down the zigzags. But I tell you now, it lashed and it was deadly. It was so hard. And there was times where I, I, every fibre in my body went to me to just stop, you know, but we all liked each other and it was great. Yeah, because it's a tough old pull by all accounts. I've never done it myself. I haven't the guts to do it, even though Pat Valvey has said to me countless times, come on, you're coming up, I've had to drag you. I haven't done it yet, but it's a tough old pull. It is very tough, and I underestimated it, to be honest, because I know a lot of people who did it, and I was thinking, right, I'm fitter than him now, I'll be grand. But you know what? It's not even about the fitness. The fitness is part of it. It's about the, the mental side of it. Your mind is telling you, you can't, you can't, you can't. But when you're going up there with friends and, and people egging you on, and you're all mm. encouraging each other, it's just become it was a beautiful thing. Don't all got up. And I'd say when the weather is crap, it makes it a lot harder. It is, because I envisioned in my head, I was thinking, like, right, when we're doing this walk, now we'll have a chat and conversation with people along the way. But it just became so difficult because you're very conscious of where you're putting your foot and you don't want to slip and, you know, it's just very hard in the conditions, yeah. Yeah, so when will we get to see the finished, the bit of work in putting it together, obviously? When will we get to see the, the finished product? Well... Hopefully we'll have it done by the end of the week and then we're going to let the people who participated in it hear it because you have to give people the option to withdraw because they might say something on the day that they might want everybody else to hear. So once we do all that, I'd say maybe a week, 10 days. Okay, okay. Now, uh, the target for Corkpenny Dinners and Simon Community is 10,000. Even before the thing is ready to put out there, you're over 5,000. So you want to try and make that 10,000. That would be great. And I know, like, these charities, um, 5,000 each is a drop in the ocean in terms of the amount they have to raise annually. But at the same time, it could do a lot uh, for the organisations in terms of don't secure beds for people and don't for social activities for the residents and mm-hmm. stuff, you know. So it's a small amount in the overall scheme of the organisations, but it still has a big impact. Um, so yeah the link is going to be open for the next few weeks and once we push out that podcast we'll do another bit of a push okay. and it's an I donate link yeah. which basically means the money goes straight to the respective charities we don't ever see any of the money you know, just go straight to them okay okay, and and I think we've shared, we may have shared the link on our social as well at this stage and good, good luck with it the podcast has gone from strength to strength hasn't it James? unbelievable like the fact on yesterday 60, 70 people turned up there was loads of them I didn't know from Adam, PJ, they, yeah. but they watch the podcast and they feel like they know me and to a certain, certain extent they do because we bear all on the podcast. Oh, you do indeed, what? you don't, yeah. I, 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 one thing, you don't hold back, young Flynn, either of you do, it was great. 
No, but then people have such a connection to it. And the fact, like, even coming down the mountain, I was just thinking, like, the fact that myself and Timmy started something 12 months ago that people feel so attached to and so close to it that they would do something like this for us, you know, it's mm. a great sense of pride. And you know what? It's turned into a bit of a community. Yeah. And the two now is a bit of a family, a bit of a community. Ah, yeah. what? It's, it's, a bra- it's a brand, lad, is what it is now. I don't like brand. I know, I know, but that's what it is now. Connotations, and yeah. this is more of a collective yeah. uh, socialist enterprise. Yeah. Well, okay. Like. <laughs> <laughs> you can still, you know what? Here's the thing. You can have a brand and be a socialist at the same time. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we did sell out. We did sell out um, a live show last week yeah. in an hour and a half. There you go. See, yeah. that's the one up in you're doing one up in up in um, Elizabeth Fourth. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that when there you go. You see, there you go. Listen, I'm delighted for you both, and I can't wait to see uh, the Caron Tool production. James, take care of yourself, man. Not about a piece, and well, thank you. Cheers. That's James Leonard and the Two Naris podcast, uh, the Caron Tool special. They reckon it'll be ready probably within. A week or 10 days. Can't wait to see that. 1850 I love that. It is a brand for them now. He prefers to be a socialist. Yep, fine. Fine, but you can be a brand and be a socialist. 1850 Where am I? Oh, yeah, here. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the big drive home for the biggest showbiz interviews. I heard with Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig. I've got the competition that is guaranteed to have you shouting at the radio the one second song. (laughs) For all that's happening in Cork, the biggest tunes and a bit of crack in the evening, you know what to do. Join me weekdays from four. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. It's that time of the year when people start to think about a new car. And that sounds like such a sales pitch. I'm sorry I even said it, but it is. Um, you'll see the two twelves on the road now. Uh, the Lord Mayor has his two twelve C one. I spotted a two twelve C coming in this morning, um, and it's the time when people change their cars. And the motor industry has been banjaxed uh, by the pandemic, but there would seem to be a bit of an uplift. Let's catch up with Geraldine Herbert, um, um, WheelsForWomen.ie. Geraldine, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. The two twelve—they they are very optimistic that the 212 will bring an uptake, aren't they? They are, because while sales are up on last year, um, PJ, last year's not kind of the year to compare it to, because last year was pretty bad as well. So if you compare it to 2019, they're still down quite a bit. Mm. So there are hopes for this, for the sort of second half of the year. But I mean, there is a shortage of new cars at the moment. That's not likely to be resolved anytime soon. So that is going to impact. And it's just really bad timing, um, PJ, for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. the industry went through, like you said, an awful 2020, and the the recovery will be will be very slow. But an awful lot of them moved to sell online, and they'll now deliver the new car to your house. So they did adapt. 
Yeah, they adapted very well. They really had no choice, PJ. They were closed for so long last year that the prospect of closing again this year, they just couldn't, you know, have business as usual and just wait to reopen before they could sell cars. So in fairness to them, they did respond very well. And while there had been kind of a move to sell online over the past few years, it was certainly like seriously accelerated by the pandemic. But um, there's still no substitute, though, for people going into showrooms and kicking tyres and doing all the usual things. So that's why hopefully they can stay open for the next six months. We're not going to be looking at any, you know, restrictions introduced. And I think it could have a huge impact on sales and just generally on, I think, even the morale of the car industry in fairness. Now, as you said, they have taken quite a battering. Mm. What's the story with stock? Well, stock is impacted at the moment by this global chip shortage. Now, as I said, this is likely to continue right into uh, 2022. Remind us what that's about. Okay, so essentially this kind of goes back to the pandemic. What happened was car um, manufacturing plants closed across Europe. Now, they didn't close for very long, but they closed for a few months or for a few weeks. And they are dependent on multiple chips, these electronic chips for uses in their car. Now, these are the same chips that are used in everything from your toaster to your Nintendo Switch, all Mm. of these things. Now, during the pandemic, obviously, with people working from home and homeschooling, there was a surge in demand for computer electronics in the form of laptops, Um, all sorts of uh, game consoles for kids. So there was this huge um, surge in demand for those and the chip manufacturers basically switched manufacturing for car companies to consumer electronics. It was a more lucrative market at the time. And now as a result, even when things started to get back to normal, car makers are still kind of playing catch-up, trying to get these chips. On top of that then, PJ, there were numerous other things that happened. There was the bad weather in Texas. There was a drought in Taiwan. So there's been all sorts of things that have actually just made the chip shortage even worse. How does a bad weather in Texas or or a a storm in Taiwan, how, how does that affect... Uh, Taiwan is actually one of the biggest producers of chip ele- of um, right. these chips. I think they produce up to 70% of the worldwide supply. So the, the, the drought in Taiwan meant that the factories weren't operating and they closed down and there was a delay there. The, um, the, the bad weather in Texas actually closed again chip um, companies and plants in um, Texas which delayed things further. Then there was the Suez Canal. Do you remember the container ship? Oh, yes. yes. There was chips coming from Asia to Europe with that. So there's been all sorts of things like outside of the pandemic that have actually impacted on supply of chips and it's been a really, really kind of unfortunate um, storm of events. So as a result now, this is the situation we're in and as, like it's not going to be resolved anytime soon. What are the most popular brands at the moment in terms of change? And we get onto the electrics and the hybrids and in a sec, but what are the most popular car brands? Are they still what they used to be? Um, yeah, at the top selling brands in uh, sort of for this year would be Toyota, Volkswagen, Hyundai, um, Skoda, and Ford. So there hasn't been much shift now in that in the last few years, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And on the electrics, are they up? Yeah, they're doing quite well. There's been, I think it's over 4,000 sold this year. So in comparison to last year, that's good. I think it's, it's up nearly 100 and something percent on last year and the same on the year before. So there's been no corresponding reduction in sales, you know, with electrics. They have just continued to grow. Now, this, but as I said, the numbers are still quite small. If you consider PJ, it was, I think, 61,000 cars have been sold to date, um, new cars and 4,000 have been electric. So they're not you know, a mm. huge market share. And would that be pure time. electric now or hybrids, as in the self-charging hybrids or the plug-in hybrids? Sorry, what was that, PJ? Would they be pure electrics or would they be hybrids included? No, pure electrics. Pure electrics. So, but right. if you combine the market share of, say, the pure electrics, the plug-in electric and the hybrid, the self-charging hybrid, that's about 30% of the market. So that's one in three buyers, PJ, mm. are opting. You know, they're not opting for petrol and diesel anymore. Because there do seem to be a lot of the self-charging hybrids on the road at the moment. 
yeah, Toyota really have, have got the market share of that, the lion's share of that, really, and they are. They're very successful and they continue to be. But there's, there's a move definitely more toward um, plug-in hybrids now and electrics. They're sort of fighting back. That 30% now is, is moving over to electric and plug-in hybrids as well. Mm. So we're seeing a change in that. Yeah, because strangely enough, when you look at the, the hybrid to, to the onlooker, it looks like the ideal one because you don't have to put a charger in at home. You don't have to do all this kind of stuff. You know, you just run it as it is. It is, I think the, the big attraction of that is, as you say, you do nothing. They drive exactly the same. You don't have to be aware of any of the, you know, the electronics that's going off in the background or whatever. But having said that, you, the rewards aren't huge because of that. So they're not, you know, very um, fuel efficient in comparison to, say, a plug-in hybrid. And the CO2 emissions are not that drastically low. Right. So if you really want, you know, kind of that, that impact, the plug-in hybrid, by comparison, even though you do have the hassle of charging it, offers mm. a lot more if you're prepared, you know, to go down that route of installing the home charger and the whole lot. Is is diesel dying or dead? Uh, no, because as I said, petrol and diesel still make up 70% of all new cars. So, mm. you know, people are still opting for that. I think people are more wary because they're thinking in terms of when I go to trade this in in three to four years' time, what's the market going to be like? But still in terms of sales, as I said, like 70% is still a big chunk. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the, the newer diesels now come with the, the, if you like, the second petrol cap for the AdBlue. Yeah, yeah. So they're cleaner They again. are as efficient as they're going to be and as clean as they're going to be. So, And for a lot of people as well, though, if you're doing very long range, there just isn't an electric car to suit you at the moment. So there are gaps in the market for, you know, in certain, for certain buyers with electric yeah. cars. So I think that diesel, that, that's right, diesel is still going to be an option for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and have, have the industry kind of been forgiven by the buyer, as it were, for the diesel gate, all the strange things that were going on with emissions and all that? Has that kind of died down now? I don't know if that had much of an impact. I mean, Volkswagen continued, I think, to be the global leader in terms of sales the following year. 2015 was, was Dieselgate. By 2016, they were still dominating sales. So people, I'm sure, were annoyed about it, but they didn't actually, it didn't impact on sales, which always amazed me. Yeah. On the price of fuel, uh, diesel itself has gone up, but petrol seems to have gone through the roof altogether. What's going on there? Yeah, you see, at the moment, there was... Um, uh, the, the whole supply of oil, it goes back to oil prices, was restricted for the last while. Again, going back to the pandemic because there wasn't any need for oil, so the supplies were restricted. That restriction has continued to be in place. And as a result now, with vaccines and with the economy recovering across the world and this general optimism that we're getting back to normal, obviously there's been more demand for oil. When there's more demand for oil and there's less supply, you're always going to see that. But I would imagine that those prices are going to come down quite soon because the, the supply of oil is not going to continue to be restricted. It yeah. should be sorted quite soon. So it should be that, but they are at the moment going, like they seem to be going up on a weekly basis. Yeah, like Terry was only saying to me this morning that the, the, the cost of filling his car has gone up by a good tenner. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It is indeed. And as I said, it just goes back to oil prices. So what we need are oil prices to stabilise and you'll see the impact. But again... But will they come down? You know, will you wonder? Well, they should because OPEC at the moment are trying to sort this out. They're the ones restricting the supply of oil. If they lift those restrictions, obviously, and the supply increases, that automatically means um, that the prices come down. But the only thing is it always takes that bit longer when the prices come down for it to be reflected in the pumps where some, oh, somehow when they go up, you see it instantly. Yeah. Just on the buying and selling and again, you know, ch changing your car. What's the best? PCPs were all the rage a few years ago. I, I took one out. Your first one is your most expensive one. That's right. But yeah. And, and I'm, I'm on my third or fourth now. It, it's grand. But, but like, are they still the deal? 
Yeah, they're still very, um, very popular. And I think actually even more so at the moment, PJ, because the one thing about PCP is you don't have to worry about the depreciation or the future value of the car. The dealership is doing that. So if you're, you know, buying petrol or diesel and you're thinking to yourself, you know, do I really want to be saddled with this car in three or four years? The whole point of PCP is you're not buying the car. You're just getting the use of it. So it actually, you know, you don't have to worry about those considerations. So Mm. I think for that reason, it actually is likely to become even more popular over the next few years. Mm. Your first one is your most expensive one. But if you if if you mind the car, you, you flip them reasonably economically. That's the thing to keep in mind as well, PJ. They're not a way to buy a car. If you want to own a car, as in, you know, actually own it, you're far better off, you know, getting a loan from a bank or credit union and spreading the repayments over three to five years. But if you simply want the use of a car and you have, and this is important, you don't do huge mileage because there's usually a restriction of 15,000 or 18,000 kilometres a year. And you have a stable, regular income and you know in two to three years' time you're still going to have that income, then they work really well. But you do need to look at those things. Yeah, car loans and a lot of the credit unions in particular um, put themselves up against the PCP and say, if you really want the car, we can make it as affordable as your PCP. So there's a bit of competition out there. Yeah, which is good. But as I said, the, the, the form of finance you choose should be dictated by what do you want at the end of the contract or the agreement. And if you want to buy a car, actually own it, PCP is not, an, it really is not a good idea. Yeah. You know this move, and we've talked about it before, that they say by 2030, they want to have a million is it not a million? It couldn't be a million electric. But they want they want us all moved to electric. Yes, by twenty thirty. Three hundred and forty thousand passenger cars, and the balance will be commercial vehicles. Is, is there any possibility that that's going to happen? I think it's a lot more likely than it was two years, and every every year it becomes more likely. I think what we will see is a bigger market share every single year growing and growing. And as we spoke about this before, PJ, I think in about two to three years' time, when we see battery prices coming down enough that, you know, the, the model, that the equivalent petrol and diesel model of an electric car, that they're basically all the same price and mm. you're not paying that extra premium for an electric car, then we're going to see a huge, huge mm. shift towards electric cars. Is there a possible insurance issue with them, though? Because you know yourself, Jerry, in the electric car, the most expensive bit is, like you said, the battery and the battery case. And I spoke to a guy in, in the insurance game... Uh, He's a year or two ago now, and he had just assessed a car that was five days out of the garage, and it had taken a knock in such a way it had destroyed the battery casing. And he said the car was a write-off. Yeah, that's, now I haven't heard of that before, PJ, and I would say that's quite rare because I have actually spoke to people about insurance on electric cars and it's actually, it's, it doesn't work out any more expensive and in some cases it can work out much cheaper right. to, um, to insure an electric car simply because there's much less that can go wrong. Yes, there is that. So and there's a lot less servicing involved. That, because they're that bit more expensive though than petrol and diesel cars, you do pay insurance based on the cost of the car as well so you might be paying a bit more but you're not paying because it's electric you're paying because the value is slightly more but generally as I said in some cases it even works out cheaper so I, I wouldn't have a concern about insurance mm. in electric cars What are you testing at the moment? What am I testing at the moment? Oh actually <laughs> it's not electric it's a GTI Club Sport a Volkswagen GTI Club Sport oh. 45 years on the road the GTI is and it's the golf. a great car The Golf? The Golf yeah. yeah I drove one years ago it was my it was my work car uh, years and years ago now and still the, the the most lively piece of kit I ever sat on. 
yeah, no, it's it's a lovely, lovely car. And as I said, the GTI is still, it's one of those cars that no matter how many times and how much you drive in between, you still get into it and it puts, puts a smile on your face. Yeah, fabulous car. Listen, good luck with it. Well aware, as they say, Geraldine. Always good to talk to you. That's Geraldine Herbert uh, from wheelsforwomen.ie and, of course, writes motoring for the Sunday Indo. The times they were changing with regards to cars, but people are still buying diesels. Still buying a lot of diesels. She thinks, she believes that by 2030 we will have the mass majority of us driving electric cars. I wonder. I really wonder. Book her in for um, July 2030 there, lads, and we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Anne says the garages in Ireland are a complete rip-off. They're so overpriced with new cars, even if are young people trying to get a new car. Really overpriced. Well, you've got to look at the hideous amount of tax we have to pay on a new car and it's just ridiculous. V- the VRT is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Puts in a massive tax burden on new cars. And you're right, uh, the cost of a new car in Ireland compared to the cost of a, a new car in the UK or anywhere across the EU, we are paying way above the odds for our new cars. That's a fact. That's absolutely true. On the primary care, I forgot this when I was talking to Thomas Gould, uh, he mentioned a primary care centre in Passage. That closed in December 2017 and it was transferred, services were transferred to Carrie Glenn. I remember that at the time. So, yeah, I should have reminded him. Yeah, it is. That, that's, that, thank you for that clarification. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Promise we'd come back to uh, COVID and the issues relating to COVID. Fergal, what you might do if you could would be maybe lift those COVID comments to the top of my screen so I can get at them. I have some held over from earlier on this morning. But there's a meeting this afternoon involving the government and the hospitality industry. And reading in The Independent this morning, pubs and restaurants are demanding that social distancing be scrapped for indoor dining if vaccine passes are introduced. This is ahead of the meeting with the government today. The hospitality industry is insisting that rules on table distances should be ditched in return for pub and restaurants owners supporting plans for a new vaccine ID system for indoor dining. Padraig Crimmins, Chief Executive of the VFI. Padraig, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Last week you didn't like vaccine passes at all. Now you want to bargain with them. Uh, well, the old story of paper never refusing ink often comes to mind. But we're very clear, PJ, that the concept of a COVID pass or a vaccine pass is not workable for a number of reasons. Uh, we don't believe it's Why legal. Why not? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to give you those. Uh, we don't believe it's legal under um, a quality law, discrimination law and GDPR. We have asked government at a meeting last Wednesday to provide uh, evidence that it is legal because our members could not leave themselves open uh, to that kind of um, claim. We believe it's discriminatory in the concept that uh, staff could be asked to work an eight-hour shift uh, and then be told, well, having done your eight-hour shift, 
you can't actually have a pint here or you can't have something to eat. We believe it will divide families because you could have uh, a family uh, arrive um, with the parents vaccinated and the children not. Uh, And we also believe that it will put publicans and their staff in the front line to bear the brunt of the public's disapproval of this kind of a, a regime. So for all of those reasons, we, be, we believe, we told government last Wednesday, and I will be telling them again this afternoon, uh, we believe it's not workable and it's not equitable. So, in other words, you want people in your pub, inside your pub, and I must say, Padraig, at this stage, I, I certainly sympathise with anybody whose pub is empty right now. I absolutely do. But I, I'm, I'm trying to get it around my head here. You want people inside your pub. The government, or Neffet, is recommending a way to do just that. And you're kicking up over it. Uh, I, I think that's uh, one way of putting it. I believe that, you know, we did operate very successfully for a period of time uh, in 2020. Mm, when we had 23 we, 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 cases a day, not 560. Well, let me come to that. Uh, when we had protocols in place that were uh, well-managed, uh, and policed uh, and essentially worked. Y- yes, you're right, we had 23 cases a day versus 560. But if you look at the cases that we have today, we're in a very different position. We're in a very different position from the point of view of the level of vaccination that is out there. And if I quote for you um, Professor Luke O'Neill, uh, so he's much more eminent than than I will ever be in Or indeed area. me, yes, yes. And he's yeah, been a guest, and, a guest on this programme many times. And what he said yesterday uh, in print was that a combination of vaccinations and the fact that it is younger people that are getting infected, they have turned the Delta variant into the flu in terms of seriousness. So that's, that's telling. The other thing I think, PJ, that's very important is the whole question of modelling. And again, I don't profess to be a modelling expert, Uh, But if you look at what happened across the water, and they are about six weeks ahead of us in terms of the impact of the Delta variant, they used a modelling exercise, which we believe is very similar to the one that was used here early in June, as to where they would be on the 28th of June. And they produced the four scenarios like we produced here. And on the 28th of June, they were 30% better off than the most optimistic because of the modeling. at the time that they published that and the time that they made the decision to hold back for a month their vaccination program was far more advanced than ours is now mostly mostly hold on mostly to the point where the most vulnerable were vaccinated our most vulnerable are not yet vaccinated not all of them and, and bear in mind that on the 17th of May, that they opened up indoor drinking and dining. So it, this was during a period when they had all of the hospitality open. But, there, but look what happened, look what happened to the football open. fans. 2,000 new cases in Scotland after a match. And, and that is correct. But where did that manifest itself? We have been told for the last number of months Forget about looking at the number of cases. Look at the numbers in hospitals. And that, in England and in Scotland, has not manifested itself in 
the level. Correct, of it hasn't. And the data and the data looks good. It looks Correct. good, but we don't know yet. Follow the data, we don't know follow yet. Follow the data, not the data. But I am following the data using one of the best in the world at it, uh, Dr. Dr. John Campbell, of whom you may have heard. And mm-hmm. what he is saying is that the data is promising. That's all it is. Yeah, and, and you, you, you can pick another expert that will say the data is more than promising. And look, we're not, uh, we're not medical experts. We have said all along that the public health advice should be followed. But here's, here's the reality, um, and it's this, that if the protocols that were there last year are followed, properly policed, properly implemented, we believe that is the way forward. Come back to me lastly on the vaccine passes, because you made a point to do with GDPR. Yeah? Yes. Um, so let me, and I am fully vaccinated, right? So let me assume that, that I can get this thing on my phone, this QR code on my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm willingly going to walk into a pub, show that code, maybe have it scanned. I'm willingly showing someone my vaccine status. I'm not being dragged in against my Correct. will to do it. So therefore, Correct. if I'm going in there willingly, then GDPR doesn't apply. But PJ, I'm giving you my information. There's no, yeah, that, no, that's, that's a BS argument, Patrick. Yeah, let, let, me, let me put the other side of the actual experience as distinct from the theoretical that you have put forward. The actual experience in, 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 in a small number of cases, but a significantly small enough to be concerned about, where we have people today who are turning up and saying, I'm fully vaccinated, therefore I'm not going to wear a mask. Uh, we have people who are turning up today who are saying, I'm not vaccinated and you're discriminating against me. So if you actually come willingly give your um, QR code and I come with you and I may have the QR code, but I say, I'm not giving it to you. Now you're discriminating. So your problem me. is your problem is policing it then. My our problem. You're is afraid of people being stoppy. Oh, absolutely! I'm afraid of people taking. Turn them cases. away. Uh, t- sorry, sorry. No, that's that's the simple bit. We're afraid of people taking cases on the basis of discrimination and equality. Under public health legislation, the government can do this. I'm sure they can make provisions for that too. It's we working. Have- in, it's working in Denmark. We, we asked government on Wednesday of last week to give us assurances in that area. They couldn't do it then. Uh, and I'm not so sure whether they can do it well, today. I'm sure that's what, the, that's, that's what the Attorney General is there for. I'm sure they will consult. And the Attorney General did say uh, last week that uh, init- his initial thoughts were that uh, it might be legal but he would need to study it more, and we haven't seen that study as of yet. So the meeting this afternoon, Neffet will not be in the room. Now, why, why would Neffet go to a meeting with groups that have been... Now, I'm not saying you did, but disband Neffet was hashtagging all over, the, all over the place for the last couple... Why would you go into a room with people who want you disbanded? Well, first of all, we, 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 haven't, uh, we haven't called for Neffet to be disbanded at, at any stage. And I'm not aware of any of the other participants who are going into the room who have called for that. The, the, the reason is very simple why Neffet should be there. Ultimately, in the current situation, whether we like it or whether we don't, Neffet are making the decisions. So what's the point in negotiating with somebody who has to turn around and go back and say... Well, probably they're not making the decisions. That's, that's oh, an absolute... No, it's not. No, 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 you're, you're wrong. That's a myth. That's, no, that's no, a myth. Neffet meets... It, it writes or 
Dr Houlihan writes a letter to the Minister for Health and to the Taoiseach after the meeting. The, the, the Taoiseach and the Cabinet make the decisions, not Neffet. Now, they have learned to their cost in the past. They've learned to their cost the price of ignoring Neffet. With all due respect, that's not the real world. The real world right now is... With all due respect, that's how it works, Padraig. Let's be be fair here. Tony Houlihan can write a letter to the man in the moon, but the man in the moon has to make the decision. In theory, you're right. In practice, in the real world, what Tony Houlihan says goes with government. And you have the T-shirt and the tarnish there on the record saying... And how often has he been wrong, Padre? Go against the advice. How often so, has he been wrong? I tell you, he was wrong. Before, Christmas, that, before Christmas, he said, you, you can do A or B, but not both. They did both. Look where we ended up. Let, let me answer your question. You asked me where has he been wrong. He's been wrong on, uh, he has been wrong on mask wearing where he held up uh, making mask wearing... The science uh, changed. ...for three months. He was wrong on visits to um, uh, nursing homes last year. He's wrong on antigen testing. So Hold on. He, he, dis- he disagrees on antigen testing. No, he's wrong. He said it, he said it won't work or it's working across, across Europe. So there's nobody... Hang on a second. Let me look at the case in Holland. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's quickly on that one, right? 650 people in a nightclub in the Netherlands all had to show proof of a test or vaccination... 165 cases among 650 guests, all of whom were antigen tested. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not knocking Tony Hulun, by the way, but you asked me a simple question and I'm answering it. Um, and, cool. and he has done great work. He has done great work for the country, but there is nobody infallible. And the one thing that we are seeing is at this point in time, we're the only country in Europe, the only country in Europe that doesn't allow indoor drinking and dining. When was it made a race? Sorry? When did it become a race? A race? Mm. It's not a race. It's, I mean, th- th- there's two sides to this coin. There's the public health, there's the public health side, and there's the 50,000, 60,000 people. And if you take the whole hospitality sector, 180,000 people mm-hmm. who are suffering mentally, they're suffering financially uh, as well. And, the, and their counterparts across Europe are not actually suffering in the same way. Mm. So there's always a balance to be found uh, and that's what we hope will prevail in the next couple of days. All right, we'll see where it goes, Padraig. And as I said, just to finish our discussion in the same way as I started it, I feel desperately sorry for anybody looking at an an empty pub right now. I I really do. I I do really appreciate that uh, and we get we get a lot of uh, tea and sympathy from government. Sometimes, most times, without. Well, you're not getting that from me. Genuinely, 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 Padraig, I do sympathise. And you I know what? There's nothing I want to do more. By the way, there's nothing I want to do more than sit at the end of a bar with a pint in my hand, watching my buddy playing the guitar. So I I I, I sympathise very much there. Appreciate that. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you. That's Padraig Cribben, chief executive of the VFI. Joe was on. Joe got on to say, where is it yet? I'm a healthcare worker. I put people in bags when they died. Some of them would not have died for many years. And they had families. By all means, open, Podrick. But if it all goes wrong, will he pay the bill? You know what he's going to say to that. Will he swap places with me? I know the answer to that, too. And Joe finishes with shame on him. 
Uh, again, I'm reminded of Josephine's message. Kate was chatting to friends in Paris at the weekend. They can't understand why we can't sort out the travel certificate when everywhere else has it up and running. Well, you're right there, Kate. This is a, a thing that we should be able to do on a computer in, in minutes. Uh, everyone else in Europe is able to do it. Why can't we get this travel thing? You're right there, Kate. It's supposed to be active here on the 19th of, of July. Listening to the news, says Kevin, do people think vaccinated means immune? Because if they do, then we're, you know what it. But again, after our conversation this morning with Dr. John Campbell, we know that vaccinated means much safer, much, much, much safer, but not that you can't pass it on. Then John, John says, I was listening to Paul Reed's comments saying he'll have all adults vaccinated. Don't speak for me, Paul Reed, because I'm not going to get vaccinated. And I can tell you, you won't have a hope in hell of getting all adults vaccinated because there are many who won't accept the jab. If you say so, John. If you say so, John. But then you usually do. 185715996. I will hold that email on the breastfeeding lads maybe until tomorrow because it's lengthy and I want, I want to read it. Um, but some good news last week. We heard it on the breakfast show when Ryan Tuberty was on with Casey and Ross going through the various charities that would benefit from the Toy Show Fund. Uh, Music Generation Cork being one of them. Claire Leighton O'Brien. Hi, Claire. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. Great news from the Toy Show Fund. Oh, it's absolutely the best news we could we could get after the year we've all put down, for yeah. sure. It must have been very, yeah. very tough. So what are you going to use the money for? How much are you getting for it again? So we are receiving €97,800 uh, through the RT Toy Show Appeal, and that's being administered through the Community Foundation of Ireland. Um, so that's such a huge win. It's a huge win for Cork City uh, on the whole. Like in normal times, our programme serves 2,000, up to 2,000 children on a weekly basis with um, music lessons uh, in, in a group situation. Um, and uh, we've been running our programmes all through COVID. We're uh, only at about 20% capacity all through COVID, but still we have been creating right. and performing music all throughout the year. So this particular funding is going to go towards action research, uh, an, action, an action research project. And it's in particular to, to work with groups that we've identified that we want to put that extra effort into making our programmes accessible right. for, for our children um, across the city. Right. I just wanted to make a quick touch base with you just to see what you were going to do. And we'll talk again Claire, because I do want to get to another item before we finish, but I just wanted to acknowledge that there's been a fantastic donation of 80, 97,800 euro for Music Generation Cork, and they're going to use it for any number of projects. I just have so much to do today, but we will, we will talk again. It'll make a massive difference to the young people that Music Generation supports. And we'll come back to Music Generation. We'll do a bit more with them some other day very, very soon, I promise. But you know what? Do you remember that wonderful show, OAP BNB? Do you remember? It was such a lot of fun to watch. Anna Toomey. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You took part and you're still friends with Quiva. I am, PJ. That's right. How long ago was it now, Anna? Because I know we talked. Yeah, uh, it's uh, over two years, 2019. Right. It took nearly three years for this year now, with the help of God. Right. And you moved in with each other for two weeks and you became friends. We did. She was a lovely girl, PJ. She was lovely and we got on so well together. Mm. You know? And mm. uh, 
I, the show was fantastic. I did very well on the show as well. Mm. Oh, so you were the, a character on it, I remember you. <laughs> did you see PJ? Were you looking at it, PJ? That's all I only want. Did you see it on the... I was watching it, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not much for these kind of programmes, but this was a particularly lovely one. It was great. It was great. To, but you're still friends two years on. That's right. We're still friends, and I ring her, and she rings me. Good. But she's after going back to Bear Island now because I'm going to COVID nineteen, the the lockdown. You yeah. know. Now I know that there's someone you want to mention who was involved. Well, I don't know whether she's involved in the programme with you, but she's part and parcel of business down there in Douglas, where you are. That's Phil. That's right, Phil Goodman, she got me on, she, she got me on their show. I didn't, I didn't think I'd get it, PJ, at all. There was so many in for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I couldn't believe it. I got a phone call from Dublin saying that I was the woman from Cork that got the job. I, I nearly fell on the ground. I was in tears, really, you know, with the, with the excitement. There was a lot of people, and as I suppose, I spoke the truth about young people, PJ. Yeah. You yeah. know? And that's how I, I suppose that's how I got it. But anyway, we had a lovely fortnight. The cameramen were here and everything, so it was lovely, PJ. And you've made and you've made a friend, you've made a friend for life in Quiva, and lovely to catch up with her. It, it was two years ago now. Uh, great to catch up again. And uh, Phil Goodman is a bit of a legend around Douglas Way. Uh, Anna, thank you. Uh, that's it. What a morning we have been inundated. And the programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.